This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Revelation chapter 3, just the one verse which you know so well, verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. This tender pleading of Jesus in Revelation 3.20 has been immortalized by Holman Hunt's famous painting, Jesus, the Light of the World. And in that painting, he depicts Christ with a crown of thorns on his head, with a lighted lantern in his left hand, standing outside a door which is locked, which has weeds and ivy growing up, and it's obvious that that door has not been opened in a long, long time. And Jesus is standing there, and he's knocking, <coughs> desperately wanting someone to open that door to him. But the door remains shut. And if you look closely at the painting, there's no handle on the outside because the handle's on the inside. And so he's waiting lovingly, longingly, patiently waiting for that door to open. So what can we learn uh, from that image? Uh, what can it direct our thoughts towards tonight? Let me try to give you a much more personal application uh, of this. First of all, I think that it tells us that it is God who takes the initiative. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It is God who takes the initiative. Right back in Genesis chapter 1, it was God who took the initiative. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Then God said, verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass and, the, and, the, and herb that yields seed. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. Verse 20, and God said, verse 22, and God said, verse 24, and God said, verse 26, and God said, verse 28, and God said, verse 29, and God said. Eleven times in one chapter, it starts off, and God said. So God always takes the initiative, always takes the initiative for man. And so in Genesis 1, it was God who took the initiative in creating Adam. God wanted beings that would know him, that would love him, that would have a choice to serve him and to walk with him. And God took the initiative and created Adam. And God took the initiative in Genesis 2.18 in creating Eve for Adam. 
because he didn't want man to be alone and he wanted a helper that would be comparable to him. And so God took the initiative and God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he took one of his ribs and from that then he formed woman out of the man and she was called woman. And so God took the initiative. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that it was God took the initiative after the fall. Whenever Adam and Eve fell in the garden to sin and to Satan, and they tried to cover themselves and cover their sin, and of course God came looking for them, but God took the initiative, and it was God who made them coats of skin to cover them. It was God who took the initiative. It was God who covered their sin. And then we see in Genesis 6 again, whenever the world was evil, whenever the world had got to the place where it was evil beyond redemption, and God looked for someone, and he could only find one man, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah and his wife and his three daughters and their sons-in-law ate and all ate out of the whole world. God saved. And from that, then of God, of course, then repopulated the whole earth. God took the initiative. The first 11 chapters of Genesis really is a story of humankind, which began with the creation. And God took the initiative, and God said, and God said, and God said. And creation came out of what God said. And then from that creation, we see wonderful things that were happening. God was blessing, and God was causing them to be blessed in that garden. And then we saw the fall and so forth. And then it goes on, and how you see the world had become so wicked and so evil that God had to step in, and God had to wipe it out and start all over again with Noah and his family. And so the first 11 chapters, in a sense, begins in the garden and it ends in the flood. In fact, just after the flood, then we see how the Tower of Babel, how people repopulated it, and then there was a Tower of Babel, and then God had to scatter them across the face of the earth. But then whenever you go into the rest of Genesis, when you go into the next 39 chapters, it's not just about humankind and mankind in general is about one man, Abraham. And from that one man came a nation and nations, but a nation in particular, the Hebrew nation became Israel and from Israel came the Messiah. And so Genesis out of all of the books in the Bible is the one that's most fiercely attacked it's the one that's the most fiercely contested. And it's contested in the science lab. It's contested in the biology lab. It's contested in academia. It's contested in the university. It's contested in schools. Why would that be? Because in Genesis 3, God shows us the fall of Satan, promises us that Satan would fall, gives that prophetic promise that even though he would bruise the heel of Christ, that Christ would bruise his head, would destroy his authority. And he hates Genesis because Genesis is the origin of the universe, the origin of the creation of the earth. It's the origin of man, and it's the downfall of him. And so it's attacked continually. God took the 
initiative when it came to the prophets. Isaiah 49, Jeremiah 1, and Psalm 139, all three of those prophets said that God knew them before they were even born, before they were even in the mother's womb. God knew them and had a plan for them, and he did, and he brought that plan into being. God took the initiative. It was God who took the initiative with his disciples. It was Christ who called them to himself one by one. He called them. So every single one of us, whether saint or sinner alike, it is God who took the initiative. It was God who came knocking at the door of our hearts. In 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, and so it's Christ who knocks the door. Standing implies patience on God's part. How long did he stand? Hmm. It requires patience to stand. Second Peter 3, 9 Peter says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I wonder how long he stood knocking on the door of your heart and my heart. I know it was a long time for me, and I heard him knocking, but I didn't open the door. I had several great opportunities to open the door, but I didn't do it. But I heard him knocking, and I knew who it was who was knocking, and I knew what he wanted. But I refused for a long time. But thank God he was patient with me, not willing that I should perish, but that I should come to repentance. And I don't know how long it took him knocking in the door of your heart my guess, probably a good while, except you were saved as a child. But if you're an adult, probably a good while before you came to him. Standing knocking, standing knocking implies persistence in God's heart. Part. Continually knocking over and over and over again. Persistent, trying to win us trying to get us to open the door. But the handle was ever on the inside. All he could do was keep knocking and knocking and knocking, lovingly, longingly waiting until we opened the door. And it's us then that's got to make the response of anyone hears my voice and opens the door. I will come in. Notice here two things. God knocks and God speaks. Let's put it this way. The knock is the providential hand of God. It's God's hand in our lives before we were even saved. You know, it's usually only after you become a believer that you can look back in hindsight and see the hand of God in your life and see those times when he spared you. <laughs> see those times when he brought you through something because his eye was upon you and his heart was for you and he was keeping knocking. And he saved you to get you saved. He spared you to get you saved. 
the providential hand of God. I believe in God's providence, absolutely. I believe that God works behind the scenes of our life, and I believe He's working behind the scenes of all of our lives, even before we came to Christ. And it's only when you look back that you can see His hand. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, uh, Kish, whose son was Saul, Kish had, had asses that were lost, and he sent Saul, his son, and one of his servants out to find him. And he searched for three days all over the land, couldn't find him, and came to the point where they were just about to give up and say, let's go home. It's a lost cause. And the servant said to Saul, he said, you know, this place where we are right now, this is the very place where they're going to give up. He says, there's a prophet lives here called Samuel. Maybe he can help us. And Saul says, well, we don't have the gift for him but we just have a quarter of a shackle. But I suppose that'll do, so let's go. But what they didn't know was that the day before that God spoke to Samuel and he says, there's a Benjamite coming tomorrow. Anoint him to be king over Israel. <laughs> Imagine going out one day looking for lost donkeys and ending up being king of Israel. But that was the providence of God. What they thought was just fortuitous and lucky and happenstance that they just happened to be where the prophet was. They thought, well, that was just good luck on our part. We'll go and ask him, see if he can help us in any way. But you see, it was the hand of God in their lives to get Saul to the place where Samuel could speak to him. And you remember what he said? He says, do you not know I'm a Benjamite? I mean, he says, I belong to the smallest tribe. And he says, our family's the least of the tribes and I'm the least in the family but Samuel says no God has got his hand on you his hand is in your life you're going to be king and so you see this is the providential knocking of God in our lives and all through our lives before we get saved God had his providence at work and maybe it was through somebody you met or somebody who spoke to you, or something that happened to you, or you just seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Well, that wasn't just luck or happenstance. That was providence. That was God's doing. You remember David and how he was, uh, of course, he was just a lad, and all of his brothers was out there in the valley of Elah with the armies of Israel, and the Philistines was on the other side, and there was Goliath of Gath. And how that... David's father says, look, there's some cheese and there's some bread. Take that to your brothers on the battlefield. That's their lunch today. And David went, and he didn't know, and his father didn't know, and King Saul didn't know, and nobody in Israel knew that that was the providence of God, that when he would go there, he would see Goliath, and he would defeat Goliath. And before that day was out, the women of Israel were singing, they made an anthem and were singing his praises. <laughs> it seemed like just a simple, ordinary thing to do, just to take some bread to your brothers on the battlefield, but God was in that. God was knocking. That was the providential knock of God in his life to get him right to the very place where he needed to be and defeat Goliath. I wonder how many times God has done that in our lives. Before we get saved, certainly after we get saved. 
The knock is the providential hand of God. The voice is the prophetical word of God. Where you receive a word that may come through a sermon. You know, I know I keep banging on about this, but one of the reasons why people should go out to church on Sunday night if church is on is because that may be the night God wants to speak to you, and if you're not here, you're not going to hear it. That's right. And who knows how many times God wanted to speak to us and we just couldn't be bothered going to the house of God for God to meet us there and we missed what God was saying. But it could come through a dream, it could come through a vision, it could come through a prophetic word, it could come through somebody speaking to you, something you read. And suddenly, there's a prophetic word in your life and there's a direction coming. John 10, 3 and 4 and John 10, 16 and John 10, 27 tells us about the voice of the shepherd and we hear his voice and then we know his voice. So God speaks and he speaks in different ways to different people at different times and we have to tune our ears to find out what God is saying. What is the word that God is saying to us today? The knock is for admittance. The voice is for assurance. Do you remember in Acts 12 how that Peter had been in prison and how the angel of the Lord came and smote those chains and he was able to walk out of prison and he headed for the house of John Mark's mother Mary where there was a great prayer meeting for him in prison and he, he began to knock on the door. Uh, and little Rhoda and uh, how she came out and he must have said it's Peter <laughs> and she, she was so excited she recognized his voice you know there was the knocking and then there was a speaking and, and the speaking gave her assurance that it was him and she was so excited that she forgot to open the door <laughs> and she ran in and says it's Peter he's out there and he says you're nuts you're mad. He's in prison. He can't be out there. It is. He's out there. But when she heard his voice, she had that assurance that it was him. My sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. Remember I told you this morning about Mary of Magdala, how in the garden he said her name, and as soon as he said her name, she recognized his voice. And so it's a friend who stands outside our door and we must respond but the handle is on the inside it's on the inside it is God who desires intimacy notice I will come into him and dine with him and he with me imagine to God the Lord of all the heaven and earth he comes and he wants to dine with us <laughs> he wants to sup with us he wants to spend time with us. Wasn't that the very thing that happened in the Garden of Eden right at the beginning? How God came to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and had intimate relationships with them and talking to them and sharing with them. What a precious moment that must have been in that garden. And so he wants to come in and he wants to dine with us. In Philippians chapter 2, let me just read this to you. Philippians chapter 2. 
Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, uh, and even to the very point of death, even the death of the cross. And so here is the creator of the ends of the earth and he comes to this world Emmanuel God with us and he comes in human flesh so that he could be close up with us and meet with us and those disciples had that wonderful personal touch that Jesus was in their midst we don't have that but we have the Holy Spirit within us actually Jesus said that's to your advantage he says, that's actually better for you than me being in the flesh. And so we have this opportunity to have a closeness with Christ. And he can come to us in different ways, whether it's in our home, whether it's on the job, whether it's in our car. Have you ever been driving along in your car? Maybe you've been listening to a nice worship tape or something in your car, and suddenly the voice of the Spirit spoke to your heart or a peace came on you, or something you were wondering about. Do you know, I have lost count of the many times I've been in the prayer meeting over the years, and as I've been sitting there, maybe after prayed, or maybe listening to somebody else praying, and suddenly the Lord drops a scripture right in my heart. And out of that scripture comes a sermon. And I didn't ask for it, I wasn't thinking about it, but he spoke to me, and it comes in different ways. And it may be some way for you. Maybe it's when you read the Word of God, suddenly He speaks to you through that because He wants to have that relationship with us. You remember Zacchaeus, the little tax collector? You remember how he wanted to see Jesus? He was curious about Jesus. He'd heard much about Him. And he knew that he was passing by through his town. And that day he desperately wanted to see him. But the problem was he was the most hated man in town because he was a traitor to his own people. So remember what he did? He climbed up a sycamore tree and he hid among the leaves. He just wanted to see Jesus passing by. That's all he wanted. If they could just see him. And of course Jesus stopped, didn't he? And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I want to abide in your house. I want to dine with you today. I want to sup with you. And you know, Zacchaeus' life was never the same. He was never the same. And he made full restitution to everybody that he had cheated. And that was a sure sign of true repentance, wasn't it? But you see, Jesus wanted to come into his house. He wanted to meet with him personally. So whether it was Simon the leper's house or Simon the Pharisee's house. In both of those homes, he wanted to meet and to commune and to be close to. The house that he loved the most, the place that he, above all the places he wanted to be, was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was the one place where he could be completely relaxed he could just sit back, no pressure, and just enjoy. And if he wanted to teach, he would teach. And if he just wanted to sit and eat, he would sit and eat. It, was so, it must have been such a, a lovely home. The atmosphere must have been wonderful and friendly and loving. And Jesus just loved to be there. 
Those were three precious people to Jesus. And they just wanted in their company. And they wanted him in their company. Sometimes you just need to, either in your bedroom or your study room or the toilet or wherever it may be, somewhere where you can snip a door, just to be alone, to read the Word of God or to pray or just to be with him. And every one of us need those moments because it is God who desires intimacy. He fully identifies with us. He took on human flesh. He came to where we were to dine with us. But notice the order here. I will dine with him and he with me. I will dine with him first and then he with me. Excuse me. So there's two tables. There's the unbeliever's table and then there's Christ's table. Now he wants to dine with us, but what's on our table? As an unbeliever, there's sin, there's rebellion, there's foolishness, there's pride, there's stubbornness, there's mistakes. That's all we had to offer him. We had nothing to offer him. Sure we hadn't. But he wanted to dine with us. But we had nothing to offer. But what was on his table? Mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, love, hope, faith, heaven. <laughs> there was a lot on his table. And so he came to our table to deal with us first and to save us and to forgive us and to cleanse us. So what's on our table now? Now that we have come to him, now that we are saved, now that we're born again of his spirit, what's on our table now? Praise, worship, prayer, love, dedication, sacrifice, service. That's what's on our table now. That's what we offer him now, isn't it? What's on his table? Holiness, righteousness, his Holy Spirit, his gifting, his enablement, his endowment, his power. That's what's on his table for us to dine with. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And then he wants to dine with us. If you haven't opened the door of your heart to Christ tonight, you should. Because he knocks and he knocks and he knocks. Do you know the night I came to Christ, and I remember it as clear as a bell, I honestly felt if I had not have come to Christ that night, I don't think I'd ever heard that knock again. Because he had knocked so many times, and I refused so many times. But that night, sitting in that church that night, and the speaker had made an appeal, and I didn't respond. And the meeting was over, and I was sitting in my seat, and I felt, David, if you don't do this tonight, you may never do this. Sally was sitting beside me, and I said to her, I says, I need to speak to somebody. <laughs> That's all I had to say. And as soon as I said that, she was off like a rocket. <laughs> And the pastor came over immediately, took me into the side office. And after about an hour, he finally, because I just kept asking, I was just, I was just playing for time. <laughs> and he finally says, do you want to get saved or not? <laughs> I says, I do. He says, right, let's do it. <laughs> and we prayed. And I've never looked back. 
But I felt that night, Lord, I think this could be the last time I hear that knock. God is long-suffering. He's very patient, and he does persevere. But there may come a time when he'll say, no more. The line's drawn. And only he can draw the line. I can't draw it, but he can. In Revelation 19, let me just read this, because we're going to close very quickly here. verse 9 of Revelation 19 it says then he said to me write blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb huh I have been to so many wedding receptions I have lost count and some of them were great but some of them were not so good <laughs> Some of them were lavish. Some of them were just plain and ordinary. Some of them was very grand. Some of them was just, just nice and simple. But this marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's incredible. Imagine the marriage supper of the Lamb. Imagine the saints of God being there and imagine the Lord himself being there. Uh, I don't know who gave me this years and years ago. <laughs> it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's an invitation. You are urgently and respectfully invited to be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb to take place in the air at the coming of the Lord, the grandest affair that can ever be known. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands attending to be continued forevermore. Music by the angelic choir. Gabriel will play a special on his trumpet as the saints of God come marching home. Singing by the blood-washed throng. Special wedding robes for the splendid occasion. Starry crowns for all who attend. The king's royal palace will be illuminated with the light of eternal glory. Introductions to the holy of all ages. Wonderful and marvelous things to see and hear. Inspiration at a high degree to thrill the soul. Don't fail to come. Jesus bids you come. Surely he wants you to come. Rewards given by the king to all the faithful. Reserve seats with Christ upon the throne for the overcomers. The dead in Christ will be raised and living believers changed to take part in the grand march of eternal bliss. Accept the invitation now. Behold the bride, sorry, the spirit and the bride say, come, whoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Revelation 22, 17. And so there is a great marriage feast for us where we will dine with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Aren't you glad that you responded to the knock on the door of your heart? Aren't you glad that you did? I'm glad I did. Because my life has never been the same since. And I know that many of you, that is your testimony. But if it isn't your testimony, it can be. You can receive Christ. You can know him as your Lord and Savior. And you can know to invite him into your life. And once you do, then from then on out, your life will never be the same and you'll be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, we pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you paid the ultimate price to save us from our sins. And we thank you that you had patience and mercy and you loved us enough to save us. Lord, we realize that we did not deserve it. We could not earn it. There's nothing we could have done to deserve your mercy. And yet, Lord, in grace, you came and you saved us. And we are forever thankful for that moment when you came into our lives. Thank you for knocking on the door of my heart tonight, Lord. Thank you that you gave me the opportunity again and again. And thank you, Lord, at that moment when I opened the door that you came in and you dined with me. So we give you thanks tonight. We bless you for so great salvation, for this life that you have put within us, this eternal life, the very life of God in us, and we give you thanks for it. My Lord, as we go into this working week, may we be your representatives. Lord, may be your witnesses, may be your testimony of your goodness to the sons of men. Giving you thanks, Lord, for all of your mercies to us. And help us, Lord, to shine a light for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk